Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Kyle Mackey is out in California this week. He chose a good week to miss this, but I am here with Jeff Went. Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, hanging in there, Dominic. This was a this one was a tough pill to swallow, and you know, unfortunately, things happen as they did, and we'll uh, we'll learn from it and we'll move on. Definitely. Uh, before we begin. I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Arizona Sports Complex. The Arizona Sports Complex is located in Glendale, Arizona, uh, right near the 17 and the 101. Uh, they have air conditioning, and they have leagues for people of all ages. So head up there, let them know that the Rising is One podcast sent you, and you'll be eligible to get a discount on annual membership. So... Here he is, Alan Orr, Phoenix Rising 1, and for parts of that second half, it didn't even feel that close. No, it didn't feel that close at all. Let's get into this real quick. You know, a couple, couple of different interesting things. You know, The formation change is the first one that caught me off guard right off the bat. Changed to a 4-1-3-2 formation with James Musa being the lone uh, defensive midfielder, which really surprised me, especially against uh, you know a tough... Real Monarch squad. I was expecting to see at least Lambert and Musa sitting in the back, but we did not go with that way. Ended up going with the 4-1-3-2, having Forbes, Awako, Asante across the midfield uh, in front of uh, Musa, and then with uh, two at the top with Jason Johnson, uh, Chris Cortez, and obviously the back four of Dia Defont, Merrill, uh, Farrell, and uh, Cody Wakasa. You know, for the majority of the first half, I thought that Phoenix Rising held their own and, and had some nice run of play at, at times. You know, you go back and you look some at some of the early first half stuff. You know, a couple of corner kicks within the first 15 minutes. Farrell got a header off of one. Uh, you know, had a, had a third free kick after, or a third corner kick after the second free kick. Uh, just missed. Um, you know, and then Cortez had a couple of good attempts. Uh, shot in the 14th that just went wide. Uh, he helped set up Billy Forbes in the 27th for a shot that went over the top. Uh, you know, first first strong effort for Real Monarchs came in the 15th uh, off that uh, Blake free kick, and Carl Wazinski made a great save on that one. Uh, Carl Wazinski made another save in the 34th minute on the shot on uh, on, on Portillo's shot. But, uh, you know, we get to the goal in the 37th minute with Sebastian Velasquez scoring. Uh, you know, it was, it was a nice ball in, but the problem with the first goal is Mike DeFont didn't close quick enough, and that 
has always seemed seems to have been an Achilles heel as of late for this club is that we're not closing on our you know we're not closing in on our competitors as as well as we were in the beginning of the season. I don't know if this is because you know we we've switched so many times between uh defensive units that we're not cohesive enough there or if we're getting to a point where we're just kind of getting a little tired on that back line. I'm not sure which one it is, but just you know I I was not happy with that play not seeing DeFont close up quick enough on that play to, to get into the way of Velasquez's shot. Uh, fired one right past Carl Wazinski for one nothing lead. Yeah, and it, it looked like a pretty well-worked goal. A couple nice passes, but again, um, you're, you're spot on with not pressing quick enough, not covering quick enough. And in particular with DeFont, this is not a new issue with him. This is something that was happening at the very beginning of the season. Uh, we had hoped that there would be permanent improvement, and it looked like that for a time. And now, um, unfortunately, this is the second match in three weeks where, um, you know, over the course of the match, it was a pretty rough performance. Well, let me ask you this question, just, just uh, you know, thinking about this quickly. Do we feel we're playing DeFont out of position? So you're thinking maybe he should be a right back? Do you think he, that either? Do you think he's more of a right back maybe than he? Because obviously you're not going to supplant Amadou D on the left, you know. But do you think he's more of a more of a right back than he is a center back? That's a great question. I think going into this season, I would have said yes because if you go back to preseason, he was playing a lot of right back, but you know. Carterone put him at center back at some point, and then, you know, chances or kind of doubled down on that. So I think that's, I think that's where his position is. So I don't, I don't know if he's more of a right back at this point. Um, but I, I guess the bigger thing is, yeah, maybe Mollis should be higher on the pecking order at center back. If you're gonna keep Defont back there, that's okay. But, you know, maybe you'd rather see. You know, Defont with Mala, or you'd rather see, you know, Farrell and Mala, um, and maybe give him a shot or two at right back, to see what he can do out there. Because yeah, the him at center back where he can't, you know, force the player to another defender, um, it, it's not worked out too well. Yeah, it it, it hasn't. Uh, you know, so when we go on. Uh, Great chance in the 39th minute uh, off the free kick. Uh, Leaker mishandles the play, falls right to the feet of James Musa, and unfortunately James Musa put it right over the top. I mean, that was a perfect opportunity, uh, you know, for them to get back in this game and to, and to even it up. And unfortunately, three minutes later, it turned around and it ended up biting them uh, big time. Uh, again, another mistake from Mike DeFont uh, tries to get in the way of a ball that comes from the left-hand side. Uh, DeFont, in his attempt of trying to clear it away, ends up knocking it right into the net for an own goal and made it 2 nothing. And it just seemed like at that point it looked like, you know, the the, the when that happened, the team kind of deflated and just seemed like it was going to be a rough go the rest of the way. Yeah, that was, that was a tough one. That took a very funky deflection. Um, just to give some context here, that one was, I forget the Monarchs player 
but that player was making a good run, uh, and Defon had to like sprawl out because it was a strong pass in, and you know, just bad luck that he takes that touch and it goes in such a weird direction that Wazinski's guarding the near post, and you know the ball deflects to Wazinski's right and right in the goal. Yeah. And you're right, I, it did it did seem like there was a notable noticeable like deflation with the squad I mean granted maybe they, they had a couple decent chances after halftime but you could kind of see it on their faces that it was they, they didn't really feel like it was going to be their night yeah I mean you know one more good chance at the end of the first half Dia uh, crosses the ball into the box for Cortez and Cortez knocks it over the top of the net this just did not seem like Chris Cortez's night I mean Chris had so many chances. I think he had three in the first half alone, and couldn't uh, couldn't close on any of those three. And it just, you know, you you had mentioned before we started this podcast, you know, he, he seems to have his his good nights, and he seems to, and then he seems to have his bad nights. And unfortunately, last night seemed to be one of those bad nights. Right. I mean, it's it's a crazy thing with him. I have not seen many players that are this Jekyll and Hyde. Um, granted, striker is a position that lends itself to that because you're going to get X number of chances and either you're going to be putting them in or missing. Um, it's kind of an either-or position. But, man, it's it's quite a split with him because he was instrumental in, that, in the OC victory, in the Sounders victory, you know, those are really awesome goals that are kind of keeping us afloat in the conference. But then on his off nights, he looks slow. He looks like he just lacks the creativity and and misses some of these chances that you really would expect a USL starting striker to put in. Exactly, exactly. So we get to the second half, and the first real interesting you know thing of the second half is Chance goes to the bench to bring on Kavon Lambert for Billy Forbes, and I, re- you know, I really thought that Billy was really misused, you know, last night. You know, not a lot of balls were really sprayed out to his side. And I don't know if that was just because of the way Real was defending things, or if it was something else. But I mean, I, you know, I didn't see much from Forbes, but I, you know, I, I don't think it was Forbes' fault. You know, and again, you know, this is where we talked about, you know, should should Lambert have started in the first place, and had been, you know, and have two on the back. Well, now you've got Lambert in a forward midfielding position, which he's not really used to, and I, I think it really played havoc with things, especially that went on in the second half. Yeah, I, I think that's super fair. Um, let's get into that second half because yeah. there were. There was a brief moment or two after the second half started where it looked like maybe we would come back, and then that changes very quick. Yeah, you, you look at things, you know, 47th minute, Dia, Dia gets another cross into Cortez, and Cortez hits it over the top. Uh, Lambert gets a shot off in the 54th that goes over the bar. Awako gets a shot that goes just wide in the 58th. I thought that was the best best chance of the match up to that point. He had just missed on that short side. Um, and then comes the bad play, obviously, in the 61st minute. Uh, you know, Waco, you know, with the challenge, you know, the ref is, the ref had already decided with that challenge he was going to give out the yellow card. Uh, 
but you know, Awako just ended up taking it a little bit further and a little bit further. And when you go hands to the throat, I mean, that's going to be an obvious decision for the ref. And it's a simple decision for the ref. Uh, goes to the back pocket, pulls out the red card in the 61st minute. And for the third time in four matches now, you're playing down a man, which unfortunately, I, I don't want to say it's an M.O. of this club all of a sudden, but, <laughs> you know, th- this is not good when you're playing down a man. I mean, you know, you live by the... You live by the card, you die by the card, and unfortunately this night you died by the card. Well, and and you don't want to say it's the team's M.O., but the numbers would back you up for saying that. It's it's three and four matches now. It's five on the season. Um, and different players, too. You can't even say that it's one guy that's consistently pushing the boundaries because, you know, it, it's been different guys. It's been Wakasa, it's been Lambert, now it's Iwako. Um, and yet the same the same uh, cards keep showing. And this is, you know, of the last three, two of them you can't really argue about. No, I mean, you... the one that Wakaso had, that's a clear goal-scoring opportunity, and this one, you can't put your hands on the guy's throat. I understand it's frustrating because the Monarchs had gotten a lot more physical once they went up 2-0. They started putting in bad challenges. They picked up three yellow cards, end of the first half, and then you know, two early in the second half, and really two in two minutes. I mean, first, Henley picks one up in the 60th minute. So things are getting chippy at this point. And then, you know, Chang, uh, Michael Chang gets a really soft foul call, in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's just enough to blow the whistle, but seems it seems kind of soft. And, and Iwako's frustrated about it because far more physical things in that match were not called. And then Chang is taunting him. And he gets a yellow card for that. And so, you know, basically just trying to incite the beast, and it works. Because once you, you know, no matter how much of a child the opponent is being taunting after, you know, winning a cheap foul, taunting to the point where he got a yellow card, uh, you can't you can't respond to that the way Iwako did. Yeah. So he gets, he gets sent off. And at that point, any hope that there was... Because, you know, in that early second half, we mostly had Monarchs on their back feet. But any hope of that is completely gone Yeah. after that Iwako yeah. red card. And it was especially gone four minutes later. Uh, you know, Joe Farrell flat-footed, and, and you know, uh, Chandler Hoffman goes right by him, puts it past Carl Wazinski for a 3 nothing lead. At that point, you just know that, that, you know, that the game's gone out of reach. Uh, you know, bring in uh, Rigi in the 67th minute for Wakasa, which obviously is an offensive change for a defensive change at that point. Uh, you know, and then you just see the barrage of shots come on. Velasquez in the 68th, Chang in the 69th, Blake in the 71st. You know, just tea, they're just teeing off on Phoenix Rising because they're just sitting back and letting them come at them. Um, obviously, you get the goal back in the 73rd with the own goal. Uh, from riding, you know, off the Rigi shot attempt, uh, you know, so, you know, a little bit of hope, but not not a whole lot. Eight minutes later, Farrell again gets caught off guard. Brody goes right by him and slots it past Carl for the 4-1, for the 4-1 lead. 
and you know then it's an, again it's another barrage of shots Casher with a save Chang with a shot with Carl's save Chang with another shot Portillo with a shot I mean it just the barrage was uh, was on again and and you could just see that you know at that point you know Phoenix Rising is just holding on you know get to the full time it's a 4-1 win for Real Monarchs uh, to stretch the lead out to to six points now over Phoenix Rising um Another interesting thing to take away from this match. Um, now there are four players for Phoenix Rising that are sitting on yellow card accumulation warning. This is going to be really interesting for matches going ahead. You have Duigi Mala on four. You have Carl Wazinski on four. You have Mike DeFont on four. You have James Musa on four. This is really going to be an interesting situation as to how uh, Rick Shantz is going to have to play this going forward the next couple of weeks because you could be looking at a myriad of players sitting out a game you know, for accumulation and it's going to really mess up with the lineup especially when you've got three defenders now on four yellows I mean with, between Mala, DeFont and, and Musa you know? so I mean that's really, that's really going to put Shantz into some, some hard tough decisions that he's going to have to make in the next I'd say two or three weeks worth of games. It's really interesting you mentioned that, and kind of frustrating because two of the names that are now on four yellows, Defont and Wazinski, pick them up in the last 15 minutes of this match, um, when things are already looking pretty bad, and you know, just when you think they can't quite get worse, you know, I didn't even think about the accumulation, but that's another negative takeaway from this night. You know, there are a couple stats that just drive this match home for me. Uh, obviously, you know, passing, Monarchs completed more passes, 464 to 277, but you kind of expected that going in. The stats that, you know, really drive this home for me, almost the same number of shots. 17 shots for Monarchs to 14 for Rising. Monarchs have 10 shots on target. Phoenix has two. Not a good... You not a good. cannot... You cannot win games when you have two shots on target. You can't win when you have 14% shooting accuracy. No, you Especially cannot. when you're playing against a team like Monarchs, because Monarchs, win, lose, or draw, they are going to make you work. They're going to put their chances on target, and you're going to have to have a big game in net if you want anything against that team. And, I mean, only two shots on target from 14 opportunities won't cut it. The other stat that really needs to be looked at here you know highlighted if you need to do uh, a passing accuracy 80% for Monarch 71 for Rising and passing accuracy in opponents half 74% for, for Monarchs 53.7 for Rising and that's not a good so, number that's I mean, what definitely does that, what does that show it, it shows that Monarchs is just able to create chance after chance in our half and we're not able to break it up enough. I mean, our numbers, they aren't great, but we've won with worse numbers than that. It's how strong their numbers are. That's very concerning. And it, and it, and it's showing the lack of creativity again in, in the offensive half of the field. We're not, we're not spreading the ball around enough to create open, you know, open spaces for players, you know, like Solomon Asante, like a Billy Forbes to maneuver and do the things that they need to do. I mean, how many times last night did we see 
instead of Asante trying to make some sort of a pass to spring him free or to spring a play forward, he's trying to dribble by himself, make three or four different moves you know, to get around a defender just to get himself open. We shouldn't be doing that. You know, this that's a situation where he should be dumping it off to, to either a Cody Wakasa, you know, or a Gladson Awako, or, or even a James Musa if he's pulled up enough into that midfield, you know, into that center midfield spot that, you know, now it's going to open the play for more things to happen. We weren't seeing that, and we haven't seen that in the last three or four weeks. We're seeing a lot of too too many individual efforts instead of trying to string things together and make, you know, make things work. Yeah, I agree. And you look at now our last five matches, only two goals from open play. I mean, we got the one own goal this week, but really only two goals that we created in the last five matches. Yeah, and that just is something that that has to change, you know, in the next few weeks. You know, which brings me to a question that I asked you off air before we started this, so we'll talk about it here again. You know, and it and it it has it has some ties with what we've been talking about here, but it also has ties to with what happened with the red card. Have we gotten to a point where we need Drogba enough to be that on-field leader to spur, you know, whether it's strong, solid play, whether it's that veteran voice on the field that can calm everything down to where we wouldn't have a situation similar to the Iwako situation. You know, what are what are we missing at this point? Um, I think Drogba would definitely help because you're right. We talked about this earlier, and I. I feel like in some of these matches where we aren't performing well, there isn't really that vocal leadership on the pitch. I mean, you have Chance on the touchline being very vocal with his leadership. Uh, that was one of the few bright spots of that match, was hearing his commentary get picked up so often. But as far as the players themselves, um, you know, sometimes you'll see Asante be a leader with his skill, but, you know, English is in his first language, it's his first team, first season with the club. You don't really expect that, you know, him to be like a leader of men, so to speak. And, you know, performances like this and Fresno, you could really use someone to say, hey, we're still in this match. Like, let's not really just throw in the towel and let things get out of hand. And I think you talk about the red cards and the three red cards in four matches. Um, you could really use someone to say, like, like hey, just remember you know in the USL they blow these whistles pretty you know pretty frequently so just be very careful out there I mean, just I've... someone that gives those reminders it would be kind of nice because it's it's been a lot of the same old and you know maybe maybe Cortez has some of that leadership quality when he's having a good night but you know when he's having an off night which players are going to have someone's got to step in yeah somebody does need to start stepping in and and I don't know where it's going to come from, but I, I think it's got to start somewhere soon and quick. Otherwise, what seems to have been a very strong, solid season may start hitting a stretch where we could be going down a path or, you know, we may not like where we're going to be soon. So I think that'll that'll I think the next couple of games will be very telling. Let's let's put it that way. 
Well, and on that note, let's go to our next match. It's going to be an away match in Portland at Providence Park against Timbers 2. Probably the most surprising team in the Western Conference this season, the biggest overachievers. Um, in their most recent match, they pick up three points against Los Dos. Even though they gave up two early goals in this match, they stay with it. They rally for a 4-3 win in this match. And, you know, at the end, they were just hanging on. But um, pretty nice performance for them. And it was Foster Langsdorf with two goals for Timbers 2 in this match. Uh, yeah. You look at the standings now, and they're they're pretty comfortably top eight. Well, maybe not really comfortably top eight, but they are top eight. Uh, they're in the sixth spot, but they're not far behind us. And so this is a match we really can't afford to lose. We really should be trying to win. Um, you know, if, if you're going to talk about standout players, Langsdorf had a good match. You're always going to get a strong performance in it from Kendall McIntyre, one of the young faces for them. Um, Marco Farfan has done some good things for them too. In their last mission, he's he's some goals in for them. So, two team that will give up some goals and will score a lot of goals too. So, I don't think we might even get it like we might even uh, get like a, a three-one kind of win, but. If if that defense doesn't show up, we could be, you know, really looking at a loss here. Yeah, we could be. You know, like you said, Foster Langstorff is one of the big guys you need to keep an eye on. Tied for fourth in the league in scoring with ten goals. I mean, a lot of things run through him. Victor Arboleda is another guy that that you got to be careful about. Uh, Augustine Williams is another guy who was really big for them last year, even though they were in such a rebuilding effort last year, uh, you know, they, they've, they've definitely turned things around, and it's great to see, you know, what they've done. But this is a huge match for Phoenix Rising. This is one of those games where if they're not, if they're not paying attention and if they're not, you know, if they're not if they're not on top of their game, they could really find themselves in some deep trouble. You know, and this this is you could probably categorize this in one of those trap match formats. I mean, this could be one of those where, you know, like we said, if they're not paying attention, this one could come up and bite them real quick. And I don't, you know, you don't want to see that happening because if if that happens, they could start a stretch where they could really be in some trouble. Because there's some big important games coming up in the next few weeks, you know, off of, you know, off of this match. You've got Orange County coming in. You've got San Antonio coming in. Uh, you know, you've got to go to Vegas and and clear that hurdle. So I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of lot of things coming up that that could put them in trouble if they're not careful yeah i think that's super fair and you know it's worth mentioning too that timbers too have been giant slayers 
at home this season. They've beaten Monarchs at home. They've beaten, I believe they beat San Antonio at home earlier this season. They've beaten some of those teams that you would associate as the heavy hitters in the Western Conference. They've taken these teams down. They've taken down Swope Park at home. Um, so, you know, Timbers 2 is not a team to mess with, especially in that building. They've beaten Sac Republic at home this season. Um, so, you know, anything less than their absolute best is going to result in a loss. Yep. I mean, this is this is a team that, in, in Timbers 2, that can show up, that can score goals. Um, but the, I think the one thing that does make me feel better is that T2 is going to have a difficult away match this Wednesday at Orange County. Orange County is a very physical team. They won't back down. They're not going to take Timbers 2 for granted. Um, I think both teams understand the stakes for that match, and I would I would imagine that that's going to be a pretty taxing match, and so they're going to have to come back on a short week where we get you know, a full week off to lick our wounds and actually eight days um, from you know, the Saturday match to next Sunday at 2 p.m. Yeah. against Timbers 2. Yeah. So I think that factor is going to be what helps us get a 2-1 win. But Cortez has to be on. The defense has to improve. I, I think those things are going to happen because I this team doesn't get into long losing streaks very often. But it's going to be a tricky match. It's going to be yeah. a tough one. It is going to be a very tricky match this week. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the team news of the week, and obviously everybody knows what happened on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week that uh, officials from Phoenix Rising met with uh, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, Don Garber, uh, and the deputy commissioner, Mark Abbott, and also met with uh, individuals from you know the stadium group and and you know others amongst the league. Very productive meetings it looked like they had over the two-day period. Um, it does look like at some point, I don't know if it will happen this year. I'm assuming it looks like it will happen this year, but Don Garber may make a visit to Phoenix uh, to come see a Phoenix Rising match, so be on the lookout for that. Um, he wants you know get a get a first-hand look and see at everything that's that's happened here. Uh, you know, with with what they've done and how they put everything together. Um, obviously, it extended to Wednesday night. Every, if anybody saw the Seth Meyers show, uh, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy wore the black jersey uh, that 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 Phoenix Rising put out this year. He wore that on the performance. Um, so you know, obviously, getting the word out there, getting getting visual, getting people visually invested in Phoenix Rising. You know, a great week for them. Everybody was happy. Uh, you know, good news all around uh, for this club and what they've done. Yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, momentous occasion. I think you talk about winning the press wars, and usually you can tell based on what the regional and national coverage of a club is, whether they're going to make MLS before there's an official announcement. And you saw it last summer when Nashville was getting a lot of buzz. And then you saw it with Cincinnati, how that was getting a lot of buzz. Don Garber was going out to Cincinnati before there was an official announcement. Well, MLSsoccer.com actually posted an article about Phoenix Rising visiting the headquarters. They have not done much of that for the other teams. They haven't done that for Detroit. Uh, 
you know, Sacramento maybe an article here or there, but nothing recently. And MLS, the fact that MLS actually shared this and was proud to share this, it makes me think that Phoenix Rising has the leg up to be the next team. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And you saw all the people that were there. Drago was there. Um, Pete Wentz was in New York. He was uh, performing with the Carvana shirt with the Rising jersey. Um, all the big names. Alex Zung was there for that MLS meeting with Don Garber. So um, I think you'll probably see... You'll, you'll probably need to see a couple more details ironed out, but I think things are looking better and better for maybe a December announcement or something either late this year, early next year. Yeah, obviously the, the biggest thing to iron out still at this point is where they're going to put the stadium. But, you know, we can wait on that. That's not, you know, I don't think that's an issue right now. I think they're very happy with what they've seen. I think they're very happy with the with the plans of the stadium. You know, I think they've 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 answered a lot of questions. They've crossed a lot of T's and dotted a lot of I's. Obviously, a couple left to go. But I think for the most part, I think MLS officials seem to be very happy with what they heard. You know, from the Phoenix Rising group this past week. Definitely, definitely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, is there is there anything other to say than? that the chances are looking pretty good for us. Yeah, the chances are looking a lot better. For the next spot. I think the chances are looking a lot better than what they probably looked like maybe, you know, six to eight months ago when we really didn't know a whole lot. You know, I think obviously adding Alex Zung was a big piece to the picture, and obviously Don Garber must have been pleased, or like you said, they they wouldn't have, A, invited the club to, you know, to New York to, to pitch their presentation or even be posted something on on MLS Soccer about the meeting, you know. So I think I think there there's a lot of positive vibes going forward here. Yeah, and that's you know if that announcement does come, what a what a day, what a moment it will be. Yeah, it um, will be. Well, I think at this point we can go to um, Western Conference scores and standings because there wasn't any other team news this week. No. Yep, let's get into uh, what happened this week in the league. Uh, Wednesday, Oklahoma City and Fresno played to a, no, a nil-nil draw. San Antonio got a big one nothing win over Colorado Springs. Uh, Kyle Murphy scored in the 55th minute uh, to give San Antonio the three points. Uh, another red card, and this was an interesting week for red cards. Seven red cards issued this week. Uh you know, in the league, five in the Western Conference alone. Um, AJ Ajaqua for Colorado Springs picked up a red, a red card. You know, in that match on Thursday, a very shocking result. Seattle Sounders two pick up a three nothing win over Las Vegas. Uh, it was goals by uh, Burke Gilroy, uh, Estrada, and Nagel, um, and they got two of those goals in the second half, playing up two men. Uh, Las Vegas picked up two red cards right at the end of the first half. Um, Alator and Alvar and, and, and Alvaro uh, picked up red cards there, and you know, I, Las Vegas is just a big kind of uh, CF, I guess you could say at the moment, with just you know all the troubles that they've recently had. You know, not only with with their coach going down with an eight-game ban, now you've got you know, two players picking up red cards. You're really starting to wonder what's going on over in uh, 
over in in Las Vegas there. I mean, we've had this conversation before. There's just a culture of no accountability there, it seems. And it seems at this point that the players aren't even, you know, caring too much whether they even try for playoffs or not. I mean, to see two guys lose it before halftime and to lose 3-0 to the worst team in the Western Conference, I mean, that's just crazy. If anything, you think that there has to be more intensity because your season's on the line. This is, you know, a, a crucial must-win match. And they just got worked by the worst team in the Western Conference. I mean, how do you even come back from that? Yeah. 3-0. Um, th- that's ridiculous. And in case anyone's keeping score, the other worst team, the worst team in the league, Toronto 2, they won 2-0 this weekend. <laughs> against Nashville. So uh, what a topsy-turvy day and weekend for you know the bottom feeders of USL. But, man, it's a rough result for Vegas. Yeah, it is a very rough result. Uh, Saturday, we obviously already talked about the T2 game. Uh, San Antonio followed up their 1-0 win on Wednesday with a 2-1 win over Oklahoma City. Uh, Ever Guzman got the winner uh, for San Antonio late there. RGV picked up a one nothing win over Colorado Springs. Uh, Aguilar getting the goal there for Rio Grande. Uh, Tulsa and Fresno with a 1-1 draw. And, the, and a big result that helps Phoenix Rising. Uh, Reno and its 16-game unbeaten streak finally comes to an end. It was St. Louis beating Reno in Reno 2-1. Uh, it was a Fink goal in the 93rd minute uh, while playing a man up. Uh, that that got St. Louis the win and ended the streak. Uh, you know, hats off first of all to Reno for for a, a one heck of an unbeaten string run run, but obviously a very helpful result for Phoenix Rising fans. This was a fascinating match. Um, you look at the shot totals: 18 shots to three for St. Louis, um, but both teams only had three on target. So. Reno tried to do a smash and grab here. I mean, Calvillo picks up a red card in the 15th minute when it's still nil-nil. But they actually go ahead. Chris Weehan um, comes back to the team, and he puts them ahead. And they actually were pretty close to getting that 1-0 win, getting that smash and grab. But uh, St. Louis with two late goals, just like they did at Sacramento, this time it gets them the win. Uh, a penalty in the 74th, and then Fink, 93rd minute. So big win for St. Louis, and you know that does help us out. But yep. a couple, a couple games. I mean, that one and San Antonio's win on Saturday—that's another late comeback because OKC was up one nil, and San Antonio scores two in the last 20 minutes. It was Lopez on a penalty in the 73rd, Ever Guzman in the 81st. Um, a couple wild comebacks. I mean, those are those are those are big swings. Yeah. And we'll get to these big swings and what they mean uh, with the Western Conference standings right now. Uh, we're through we're through week 20 of the season now. So at the top, Real Monarchs extended their lead to 44 points off of 21 matches. Even though they lost, Phoenix Rising remains in second, 38 points off of 21 matches played. It's Orange County in third, 37 points off of 21 matches played and 11 wins against uh, Reno at 37 points off of 21 matches, 
10 wins and a plus 9 goal differential. Sacramento is in 5th with 37 points off of 22 matches, but they're at 10 wins and a plus 5 goal differential. Uh, it's T2 and 6, 32 points off of 21 matches played. Uh, they, hold, they hold the tiebreaker over Swope Park in 7th at 32 points off of 21 matches. Uh, T2 with the 10-9 win tiebreaker there. And get, getting the 8th spot right now, if the season were to end today, it'd be San Antonio, 31 points off of 20 matches played. Get to the bottom half of the table. It's Fresno in 9th at 30 points off of 23 matches played. Colorado Springs is in 10th, 28 points off of 24 matches played. St. Louis in 11th, 26 points off of 20 matches played. Oklahoma City in 12th, 23 points off of 22 matches played. Las Vegas in 13th, uh, 23 points off of 20 matches played. It's Rio Grande in 14th, 20 points off of 20 matches played. LA Galaxy 2 in 15th, 19 points off of 20 matches played. Sounders 2 in 16th, 14 points off of 19 matches played. Rounding out the Western Conference, it's Tulsa in 17, 13 points off, 20 matches played. The big winner this week, obviously, San Antonio, getting two huge wins, six points, putting them up into the eighth spot. The big losers this week, Colorado Springs, Fresno. Fresno, with, with a pair of draws, really hurt themselves in the standings. Colorado Springs, with the loss to San Antonio, really put themselves behind the eight ball again, especially now the fact that they have the most games played in the Western Conference uh, with 24. They're, they're getting themselves in the same situation they found themselves last year. They kept, pl- they kept piling on matches and piling on matches, and in the end, it ended up costing them, and I think that's what's going to happen here again this year with them. Um, obviously, the other big winner, even though they lost, Phoenix Rising, you know, with Reno losing, holds on to that second spot. Obviously, very key for at least trying to keep two home games into play in the playoffs if they can hold their spot where they're at right now. Well, that's that's a spin zone if I've ever heard one. That we are a winner. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the way other matches played out, but um, wow, <laughs> always the optimist, I, I suppose. Um, you were talking about Fresno before, and just some context there. The the match that they drew on Saturday against Tulsa, that's a match Fresno was up one nil, and Tulsa draws it in the 90th minute. I mean, good for Tulsa. They've been scrappy, but. You know, Fresno has to be kicking themselves for not picking up the full three points. And they're they're another team that's running out of matches. They have 23. San Antonio's only played 20. Um, you Both matches that Fresno's played against Tulsa, Tulsa just sneaked out a draw right at the death. And how big will those points be for Fresno if they end up missing the playoffs by two or three? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've had several matches where they've just at the end... Um, lost out on a win and you know both those Tulsa ones come to mind yeah because if you look at the four if they would have won both of their matches this week they'd have been sitting in sixth place this week um uh, sitting on 34 points instead they're sitting on 30 you know and like you said if you even add that other match in there where you know they they gave up a late equalizer to to, to draw that match you get give them that two points they'd find themselves sitting at 36 and really challenging for a top four position so you know, you got they got to really be kicking themselves about some of these results, and I think it may come back to bite them in the end. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see a team with the 
plus eight goal differential, looking unlikely to make playoffs. That this is true. Um, well, I think there were no supporter section uh, questions this week. We put it out there, but I think people probably don't want to talk too much about getting absolutely drubbed. So we'll just go straight to closing thoughts. And Jeff, why don't you start out? What are your closing thoughts? Well, you know this. You know this was a tough pill to swallow. I mean, you know, everybody really wanted to see how close you know we really were to being at the top, and I think. You know, a lot of people are going to be very disappointed in the fact that we're not quite as close as we really thought we were. It's not time to hit the panic button just yet, but you know, Sunday is Sunday is another key match. You know, for for this club, you know, you want to see that bounce back mentality. You want to see uh, the fire in this club. You know turn it around and, and, and secure a, a solid three points on the road against uh, against Portland Timbers too. You know, we're not the greatest club on the road. We've, we've shown that here now uh, for the last, you know, couple of games on the road. You know, bad result in Fresno, bad result in in, in, uh, in Salt Lake. So that's, you know, it, it doesn't bode well. But, you know, I think Rick and the, and the coaching staff will get these guys up for this week. You know, Obviously, I think the thing that we want to look for out of this week's match is we want to see somebody kind of decide they want to step up and be that team leader that kind of is barking on the field and letting people know what they need to be doing or, or you know, kind of trying to, to, to keep the peace out there. And I, I really want to see something like that this week, and I hope somebody kind of steps up and says, I want to take that role on. So, you know, obviously a key match. But I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think three points, I think three points will be achieved, you know, and we'll stay in this race, you know, for a top two spot, you know, and and bring it back home where we haven't been in a while. It'd be nice to 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 get the home uh, fan support back behind him again. I just want to see goals. <laughs> I want to see goals. We've had we've had you know technically three goals in the last five matches, but really two good goals in the last five matches and in all of those matches we've created chances quality chances and we just haven't seen that explosive attack since you know las vegas and tulsa which is a long time ago now i mean it's it's kind of crazy to think about so i, I just want to see multiple goals in this match you know for all the success timbers two have had this season They've given up 32 goals in 21 games. That's one of the bottom five marks in the Western Conference, and that's definitely one of the bottom eight or nine marks in the league. So with all their attacking prowess, they can definitely concede some goals. So I just want to see some goals, man. I mean, this team's so capable of it, right? Yeah. So, man, like I just want to hear that sound of the ball hitting the back of the net. We can do it against Timbers, too. They are there for the taking, and um, you know, if the defense plays better, that's awesome. If we win, that's great. But I would almost rather see a two-two draw where we actually have two good goals than like a nil-nil or even like a one-nil win where we get an own goal or something. I want to see us really create on the offensive side. Um, yeah, because it's need- been too long. 
It's we, driving me crazy. And we need to see the speed back again. We have not seen the speed of this club in the last three or four weeks. You know, I don't know where it's gone or if it's just the fact that, you know, we're trying to harness it and save it for the future. But, you know, we really need to see the speed on this club back. We kind of started to see it a little bit at the end of, you know, at the end of this match with Monarchs, you know, with Regi coming on as a sub, you know, and we started seeing his speed out there. But, you know, I really want to see Billy Forbes getting back on the horse again. I want to see Solomon Asante, instead of trying to be that playmaker role type of guy, you need to see him back out there and, 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 and on his horse on that on that uh, right-hand side. And, you know, that's something we haven't seen in the last few weeks, and I think we really need to see it to get us turned back on again. And one last thing, please no red cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't need another red card. I think we've seen enough for a year. I, I will create a shrine to USL Pro referees. Uh Please, just no red cards. My goodness. And and on that note, anything else or are we good? Uh, I think we're good this week. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. Enjoy your week and go rising. Go rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.